Thanks for listening to this Small Town Theologian special. This bonus content comes from other Reformed pastors and theologians in small towns. You may not recognize their names, churches, or towns, but these faithful men have good things to say for your comfort. God's sovereign grace is active in small towns. May hearing from these men encourage you, and may your life be shaped by what you learn. Right by the Beaver River in Beaver County, PA, about 30 miles northwest of Pittsburgh is the small town of Beaver Falls. The population is just over 9,000 people and is part of the Rust Belt. Originally called Brighton, Beaver Falls used to occupy Native Americans and in 1870 was the home to a Chinatown with over 200 Chinese residents brought in to work at Beaver Falls Cutlery Company. Remember the comedy show, Mr. Belvedere? The Owens family lived in a highly fictionalized Beaver Falls. This small town is the home of Geneva College, a fine institution governed by the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America, the same denomination that governs my alma mater, Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary. The first ever recorded college basketball game was played in Beaver Falls in 1893. The great industrialist, Andrew Carnegie, gave a $50,000 grant in 1903 to establish the Carnegie Free Library of Beaver Falls, the first public library in Beaver County. It's now on the National Register of Historic Places. Hungry for a donut? Head to Orem's Donut Shop at 1406 7th Avenue and grab a cinnamon roll donut. Food and Wine Magazine said, quote, one of the finest donuts in America comes from a charming little relic called Orem's Donut Shop in a relic of a town called Beaver Falls, end quote. I've known Pastor George Gregory and his wife, Danielle, for over 15 years. George also graduated from Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary. George and Danielle now have eight children, two sets of twins, mind you. One of their children is in glory. After significant medical complications, which led to the death of his son, our brother George took some time away from pastoral ministry and then was called to College Hill Reformed Presbyterian Church in Beaver Falls to minister at their second ministry site on Fifth Avenue. It grew, and in 2020, it became Hope Community Reformed Presbyterian Church. Check out the church at hopecommunityrpc.com and listen to some of the sermons. I'm sure you'll be blessed. Let's get to our brother's message on the keys of the kingdom. Here's Reverend Gregory. Well, I have a, uh, a picture for you. I want you to tell me what you see. Aside from my very evident lack of artistic ability, uh, what, what do you see here? A key? A key. Yeah, that's right. Uh, what are keys used for? What do you do with keys? Unlock a door? Yeah, or lock a door, is that what you said? Yeah, unlock a door, lock a door. Maybe, maybe a door like this. <laughs> <laughs> a, a gate or a door or something. We, we, we lock our doors, right? We use keys to, to open and close things, uh, to let ourselves in or let other people in or to, to keep people out, right? Uh, so that they can't get in or uh, they, they can't gain entry. Well, this evening we're going to be talking about keys. The keys 
of the kingdom, actually, keys of the kingdom of heaven. We're on Lord's Day 31 of the Heidelberg Catechism, and that's the last Lord's Day in the section of grace. We had guilt, grace, and gratitude. This is the last section, uh, last question, or Lord's Day in the section of grace. And this evening we're talking about keys. Now, question 83 asks, what is the office of the keys? When we talk about office, we're thinking of what is the, the position or function or, or purpose of the keys. And whenever you have a catechism, a good catechism, you know you found a good one, whenever it uh, only ever seeks to use and further explain the language and concepts of Scripture. And so when we think about keys, this question asks us about keys, uh, where do we find the language or concept of keys in the Bible? Well, I've included in your packet a lot of Scripture texts that we're going to be looking at this evening. We're going to be unpacking God's Word here a bit tonight. And the first time we see this idea of keys, at least in the New Testament, is found in Matthew chapter 16, where we have the great confession of Peter. And I'm going to read this for you, and let me know, raise your hand when you hear the idea of keys. Probably pretty evident because I've underlined it for you. But for those of you who can't read, the kids among us, raise your hand when you hear me say something about keys, okay, or binding or loosing something, like opening and closing something. Right, Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And so it's in Matthew 16, verse 19, that we have this general idea or concept of keys. Keys given to the church. Uh, and again, keys are this idea of opening or closing something. And, and notice right here in the context of this passage that they're related in some way to the profession of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. There's a connection somehow to these keys and binding and loosing to a profession or confession of Jesus Christ. But what are these keys? What are the keys of the kingdom? Well, after this initial description that Jesus gives of the keys uh, in Matthew 16, we have two later occurrences of this idea or language expressed by Jesus of the keys of the kingdom. And one of them is found in John chapter 20, verses 21 through 23, where Jesus, he doesn't use the exact language, but he expresses the same concept 
or the same idea. We just read Matthew 16. Now listen to what John says, or what Jesus says as John records it, and see if you can hear the parallels to what Jesus has already expressed in Matthew 16. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And so you see the parallel of those two passages in Mark, or I'm sorry, in Matthew and in John, this idea of, of binding and it will be bound, loosing and it will be loosed, for forgiving and it will be forgiven, withholding forgiveness and with forgiveness being withheld. And so Jesus instead uses this language of forgiving sins and not forgiving sins. And it's not hard to see the connection in concept here. Keys grant access or entrance. And you enter the kingdom of heaven when your sins are forgiven. But you're barred entry from the kingdom of heaven when your sins aren't forgiven. You cannot be in the kingdom of God if your sins have not been forgiven by Jesus Christ. And so you see the connection here. But what is the actual key that grants or bars access to the kingdom of heaven? Well, I want you to see, again, the context here in John 20, as well as the parallel passage from Luke chapter 24. In this John passage, Jesus identifies the sending of His disciples, empowered by the Spirit, and them then forgiving sins or not forgiving sins. But then in the parallel passage of Luke 24, 46, we see what He sends them to do. Look at that passage in Luke 24. And Jesus said to them, this is the same account, this is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of My Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high." And so Jesus is sending them out to, to do what? Sending them to preach. And to preach the gospel, right? That the Christ suffered and on the third day rose again, and that there's forgiveness of sins. And so, what we see here by the context of these passages is that uh, this key is the proclamation of the gospel. The gospel, the preaching of the gospel, is that which looses or binds, or as John puts it, forgives or withholds forgiveness. It's the preaching of the gospel that's the key that gains entrance or opens the door to the kingdom of heaven or locks the door to the kingdom of heaven. And just as a side note here from John chapter 20, when Jesus is talking to them about receiving the Holy Spirit, and if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness, that it is withheld, this, this key of, of preaching. He talks to them about this in the context of His resurrection appearance. And where you find the disciples in that moment is that they're locked in a room. Uh, they're, they're in a room by themselves and they've locked the door, which I find interesting when we're talking about keys. And, and Jesus shows up in the room and He doesn't use the physical door to get in. <laughs> 
He doesn't actually unlock the door and get into where the disciples are. And I think this actually uh, helps us see that there's an emphasis placed on the spiritual work of Jesus Christ in opening people's hearts and making them part of the church, and less of an emphasis on the, the physical aspect of actually becoming a member of the church. Now, that's not to downplay the, the physical membership in the body of Christ. That's important. But I think this emphasizes for us or causes us to place the priority on the, the work of Jesus in the life of an individual in order for them to actually be part of the kingdom of God. You become part of the kingdom of God. You enter into the kingdom of heaven only when Jesus does a work in you, not just by becoming a member of the church. So it's spiritual over the physical, even though the physical is important. Well, a second occurrence or use of this concept of keys, it comes later on in Matthew, Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. Let me read this passage for you again, and let me know if you hear the connection to Matthew 16 and the keys of the kingdom. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So there's that language again that Jesus connects with the keys of the kingdom. We have this explicit language here of binding and loosing, the same that was found in Matthew 16. And this time... Jesus gives this concept or this description in the context of church discipline. So whenever there is a sin or an offense between individual members of the church and it, it isn't reconciled or isn't remedied, uh, then two or three witnesses come. And if it isn't reconciled or remedied then, and then the matter needs to be brought to the church, to the, the elders of the church. And if that person doesn't repent or it isn't remedy, there's no reconciliation. And then Jesus says that they're to be put out of the church. They're to be considered as, a, as an unbeliever, not part of the kingdom of God. And that's connected to this binding and loosing, connected to the keys of the kingdom. And so then the keys which grant or bar access into the kingdom of heaven are one, the preaching or sharing of the gospel, and two, the exercise of church discipline. And this is exactly what the answer to the catechism tells us in answer uh, 83. What is the office of the keys? The preaching of the Holy Gospel and church discipline. Uh, by which two things, the kingdom of heaven, are opened to believers and shut against unbelievers. And so notice you have here in the answer this idea of believers and unbelievers. And this corresponds to those two conditions uh, we have here of what the keys do, of binding and of loosing. Where the binding, I think, goes with unbelievers, and the loosing goes with believers. Uh, you can think of, of binding being somebody bound in their sin, and loosing having somebody uh, released or loosened from the, the bonds of their sin and slavery. And, and I do realize that those words can convey 
a similar idea is the other way as well. You know, somebody could be bound up into heaven and held in heaven where someone else is set loose and let go from the kingdom of heaven. And so you can kind of apply them both ways. But uh, there does appear to be in Jesus' day uh, a rabbinical understanding that when these two words are used together, or these two ideas are used together, this binding and loosing, Binding has to do with things that are forbidden, uh, things that are not good, things that are forbidden, where loosing has to do with the ideas of things that are permitted, things that are allowable, things that you are free uh, to do. And I think this aligns appropriately with the idea of forbidding or permitting entrance into the kingdom of God, or even forbidding and permitting someone access to the Lord's table. Okay, so. Uh, we're going to look at each of these keys a little bit more closely. And in fact, that's just what the Catechism does in the next question, beginning with preaching first. If you look at question 84, how is the kingdom of heaven opened and shut by the preaching of the gospel? And the answer that's given is in this way, that according to the commandment of Christ, it is proclaimed and openly witnessed to believers, one and all, that as often as they accept with true faith the promise of the gospel, all their sins are really forgiven them of God for the sake of Christ's merits. On the contrary, to all unbelievers and hypocrites, that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation abide on them so long as they are not converted, according to which witness of the gospel will be the judgment of God both in this life and in the life to come. And so we have the key of preaching. The first half of the Catechism's answer identifies the gospel offer of Jesus Christ as the way the key of preaching opens the kingdom of heaven for believers. And this is just what we saw Jesus identify whenever he connects the key with the confession of himself as the Christ in Matthew 16, and the preaching of the gospel of forgiveness of sins in John 20. And Luke 24. And we see this key at work all the way through the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts is the, the, the story of Christ working in the world and, and the expansion of the kingdom of God and through the preaching of the word of God. And, and Acts chapter 2 is a great example of this. You have Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God has descended upon the apostles in power. And they preach the word of God. They preach the gospel. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So Peter has been preaching the gospel to them. And listen to their response. You can see the key opening their heart. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We see God using the preaching of the gospel as a key to open the hearts of these individuals, to open the kingdom of heaven for them as they come to faith and enter into the kingdom of God. But we also see the other side of the keys work, the, the locking out 
or the excluding from the kingdom of God. And that preaching of the gospel locks out those who do not believe in and profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The preaching of the gospel always includes a message of judgment for unbelievers. And this is emphasized in the second half of the catechism answer when it says, on the contrary, to all unbelievers and hypocrites, that the wrath of God and eternal condemnation abide on them, so long as they are not converted, according to which witness of the gospel will be the judgment of God both in this life and in the life to come. And this is something that Jesus has plainly expressed in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 16 and following. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so we see this locking out of the key of the kingdom of God through preaching. And this is connected with John 20 again when their sins are not forgiven of them. So I have the picture of the ark in my mind and, and all the people who were fleeing to the ark as the rains began to fall, they had not heeded the preaching and warnings of Noah. And they came to the, the ark and the door was shut and they could not get in. It was locked to them because they had rejected the, the, the offer given to them of salvation and the wrath of God. They were condemned already and it fell upon them. They were locked out of salvation. And, and so, you know, I think of, I try to put this in a hypothetical um, idea here of the keys of preaching. So if you were to go to an unreached people group, They've never heard the gospel before. They've never heard the word of God before. The only experience they've ever had with God Almighty is that which has been revealed to them through general revelation in creation and in their own, in their own hearts. If you were to go to them as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, as, as Paul calls us, as ministers of reconciliation, as you set your foot on that soil, you, you bring the kingdom of God with you. The kingdom of heaven draws near as you come to preach the word of God. And it's a spiritual kingdom. It's, it's behind you. And you're standing on the walls, as it were. And the people are standing outside and they're watching you. And you begin to preach the gospel to them. You share the good news of Jesus Christ. And you're holding the key and you're unlocking the door for those who respond in faith. And those who place their trust in Jesus, they enter in to that spiritual kingdom of heaven that you have brought near to them through the preaching of the gospel. But for those who reject it, they don't come in. The kingdom is, is locked to them because they do not have faith in Jesus Christ. So the first key is preaching of the gospel. The second key is the key of church discipline. And we see that in question 85. How is the kingdom of heaven open and shut by church discipline? In this way, that according to the command of Christ, if any under the Christian name show themselves unsound, either in doctrine or life, and after repeated brotherly admonition refuse to turn from their errors or evil ways, they are complained of to the church or to its proper officers, and if they neglect to hear them, are by them excluded from the holy sacraments and Christian communion." 
and by God Himself from the kingdom of Christ. And if they promise and show real amendment, they are again received as members of Christ and His church. It's not too hard to hear Matthew 18 as you read that answer, isn't it? The step-by-step process that Jesus um, gives to us in, in the Word of God. And while preaching and sharing of the gospel, the gospel key primarily emphasizes loosing or, or forgiving sins or permitting into the kingdom of God, discipline primarily emphasizes the binding or withholding forgiveness or excluding from the kingdom, locking out of the kingdom. Kevin DeYoung says it this way, he says, whereas preaching looses, then binds, the nature of discipline is to bind, then loose. Discipline binds or closes the kingdom by excluding from church fellowship those who call themselves Christians, but repeatedly, after much warning, refuse to abandon their wicked deeds. And this is certainly the more unpopular of the two keys of the kingdom. But again, it's, it's a key that Jesus has given to the church. We read that from Matthew chapter 18, verses 17 through 18. Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Right? And we see this key at work in the church of Corinth, as Paul informs us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And Paul describes a scandalous sin in the church, a sin of which even the pagans uh, won't even engage in. Uh, they're, they're shocked by it. And the unrepentant person in the church is put out of the church in that passage. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. And so he's being put out of the church. And so this is the binding emphasis of this key. The unrepentant person is put out, he's locked out of the church. But listen to how Paul continues in verses 7 through 13. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. And so notice how Paul, he highlights the Lord's Supper as he goes on in this church discipline situation here. He talks about Christ, our Passover lamb, having been sacrificed. Let us celebrate the festival. This is reminiscent of the Lord's Supper and the teaching of the Lord's Supper. Not even to eat with such a one. Purge the evil one from your midst. Paul highlights the Lord's Supper in all of this. The symbol of union with Christ. Union with the church. And this is why the Catechism, I think, highlights this in its answer. That they're to be excluded from the Holy Sacraments. 
the unrepentant member loses the Lord's Supper in church discipline. And it's ultimately put out of the church, something which Paul emphasizes later in Timothy, or I'm sorry, in Titus 3, 10 and 11. And so this person, he loses the worship of God, the preaching, the sacraments. He loses fellowship with God's people. He loses all of the public and ordinary means of grace. And this is why our confession of faith and even the book of church discipline says that outside the visible church there's no possibility, no ordinary possibility of salvation. I've, I've put those in your list there for you to read them at a later time. But this is the key of church discipline, closing the kingdom to those who have rejected Christ by their lives. They might confess Him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him, and they evidence that by their lives. But this is serious business. This is something that should not be taken lightly, and something that's pursued very slowly and with much prayer. Jesus even shows us this in Matthew 18. Look at the step-by-step -step process that has to occur before the person is put out of the church, before the kingdom of heaven is locked for that person. And that's altogether different than the key that opens the kingdom of preaching, isn't it? Uh, the discipline process is slow and intentional and deliberate, but the preaching of the gospel is to be immediate and ubiquitous. It's to go out uh, without delay. Right now there's an urgency to preaching, whereas discipline is slow. We need to be slow and careful and prayerful as we think of church discipline. But this is a key of the church. But it's a key not only about binding and locking out, but there's loosing as well. Look again at the last sentence of the answer of uh, question 85. If they promise and show real amendment, they are again received as members of Christ and His church. So discipline is supposed to be exercised in hope, with much prayer, hope that this person will repent and come again to faith in Jesus Christ. Which is why we say in our book of discipline that the five purposes of church discipline are primarily to reclaim a sinning member. And then it goes on to talk about the other purposes of church discipline. But the very first and foremost is to reclaim the sinning member. And we need Jesus' grace to do this. We need to trust Christ's ordained means of accomplishing that end, which is church discipline. We need to pray for it, and God willing, we will see it. And Paul evidently saw it in, in Acts, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 2, verses 5 through 8. That person who was excommunicated uh, returned to the church. Uh, the, key, the, the, the kingdom was opened again to that one. Well, one final point to make here that the power of the keys to bind or loose does not reside in the church itself, but in the power of God. And so while Christ has given the church the authority to use the keys in His name, we don't possess the power to actually affect the spiritual realities of the keys of the kingdom. But it's the Lord's doing. And so when Jesus says in Matthew 16, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, or in John 20 when he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. Or if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is forgiven or it is withheld. He's not saying that our actions somehow determine what God will then go and do. As 
if we can hold God captive to our decisions here on earth. As if we can let someone into the kingdom that God has not determined. Or kick someone out of the kingdom that God is holding in the palm of His hand. No, but when these keys are exercised faithfully, they work in concert with, and they reflect what God has already determined and decided in heaven. And I want to give you an example of that in Scripture. You can see it in Acts chapter 13, verses 44 through 48. Paul is, is preaching the gospel. He's using the key of preaching to open the kingdom of God. And he preaches first to the Jews, and they reject it. And so what happens? The kingdom of heaven is, is locked to them. They, they don't enter in. Their sins are not forgiven. And so he goes and he preaches to the Gentiles. Uses the key of the kingdom for them. And they believe. The kingdom of heaven is open to them. But look at what Luke tells us in verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And God had already determined those who would enter into the kingdom of heaven, but He just sent Paul to use the key to open the door for those that God had already appointed to believe. You see, the keys are the visible expression of God's will. God had already determined to open the kingdom for these Gentiles, and He sent Paul with the key to do it. And so we see that the keys of the kingdom are the preaching and church discipline exercised by the church into sober responsibility. God has given these keys to us to express the glory of salvation in Christ and the warning to those who reject Him as our Savior. Uh, DeYoung puts it this way, and I'm going to close with this, that the keys are given so that in opening the door many will walk in, and in closing the door many would be duly warned and seek the only door that leads to eternal life. So the keys of the kingdom, preaching and church discipline. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you were edified by Reverend George's message and that you learned a little something about Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. You'll want to subscribe to Small Town Theologians so you don't miss future specials and regular episodes. Please take a minute to rate the podcast and share this episode with a friend. You don't want to miss the coming episodes. You might be surprised at the clear law and gospel ministry coming out of small towns. Till next time.